Uh, it's Revelations chapter 4 and 5. And let me open in a, pr in a prayer first. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word is always teaching us new things. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us hear your word and put it into practice. And we ask it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelations chapter 4 and 5. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, make sure you keep uh, those uh, Bibles open, those passages handy, uh, and follow along. Uh, make sure I'm not making anything up. And let's pray that God will help us as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these chapters we've just read. Uh, we thank you for this glimpse into the throne room of heaven. And Lord, we pray that we would go away this morning with a greater picture of who you are, uh, with a greater appreciation for what you have done through your son, with a greater love for you and with our hearts full of praise. Amen. Well, actually, I don't know about you, but I think that some of the clearest and most important moments in our lives are those moments when we realise just how utterly, hopelessly, incredibly puny and insignificant we are. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. I don't know if you've ever stood on Mount Lofty and looked out over Adelaide and, uh, or, or stood on the, on the edge of a cliff on the ocean and looked out over the sea that just goes on. Or maybe you've sat in a paddock on a dark night and looked up at the stars in the sky and the moon and, and just realised, I'm just a speck. I'm this tiny little speck on a tiny little speck within this unimaginably huge creation. Have you ever had those moments where you've lain in your bed awake at night, unable to sleep, because you can't escape the realisation that actually you don't deserve to live. You don't deserve happiness or love or breath or anything good at all. I think some of the clearest and most important moments in our lives are when we have this realisation of how overwhelmingly unworthy we are. We're here in, in Revelation 4 and 5. We, we puny creatures are given a glimpse into the throne of heaven. And it's designed to be one of those moments for us where we realise just how overwhelmingly unworthy we are in the face of a God who is overwhelmingly holy. See, we have a God, a creator, who is overwhelmingly holy. Holy. Now, there are people in our world who seem a bit different to everyone else, aren't there? You know, there's people that kind of seem, you know, just a little bit more than human. You know, they've got kind of that, that 
gravitas and that mystique, that kind of more than human quality about them. You know, I don't know who they might be for you, the, the Brad Pitts or the Elon Musks or the Serena Williams or the, the Cristiano Ronaldos or, or the Queen Elizabeth II's. Yeah, there are some people, aren't there, that they just, they just seem a little, bit, a little bit other, a little bit different, a little bit more than the rest of us. And yet if you spent uh, a week with any of these people, you'd realise actually they're just the same. They're just the same, they're no different. They might be exceptional in some area, but they still lose their temper, they still get bad breath, they still get sick, they still sleep. They're still just like us. Ordinary, regular, same. And yet when we come here to Revelation chapter 4, we realise straight away there is nothing same or ordinary or regular or safe about God, the Creator. I mean, listen to the way that John just scrambles for human language to try and describe what he sees and hears. Look at verse 2. I was in the Spirit. There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. He kind of looked like jewels. And and there was a rainbow that shone like an emerald. It encircled the throne. I can't even picture that. Surrounding the throne, there are 24 other thrones and seated on them are 24 elders. From the throne, there was flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder. There were lamps blazing. There's a sea of glass, or maybe that's what it was. I don't know what it was. It looked, looked pretty fancy. Four incredible creatures, like a lion and an ox and an eagle and a man, and covered in wings. And I, This is not normal. This is not something that we come face to face with. It, it has no correspondence with our experience in this world. There is nothing in all of creation, on earth or in heaven or in all the universe, like God. He's completely, inexpressibly other, different, untouchable, unapproachable, unimaginable, holy, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, people talk like this, but I think it's ridiculous when I hear people say, oh, you know, look, when, when I die and I'm in heaven, um, I'm going to go to God and, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to him about, you know, all the problems of the world. You know, why did God, you know, I'm going to ask him why he let all this suffering happen and all these wars and all this kind of stuff. Do you think this sounds like a God you can just wander up to and give a piece of your mind? We are creatures and he is the creator. We are overwhelmingly unworthy to stand before this overwhelmingly holy God. So there's no room for pride, but only praise. Look at verse 9. Whenever the creatures, so these four creatures are giving glory 24-7, whenever they are giving glory, so is everyone else who is there in the throne room of heaven. The 24 elders fall down before him and they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. 
Now, uh, often when I tell my wife Keely that she's beautiful, uh, she says, oh, you always say that. Uh, and I tell her that the reason I always say it is because it's true. <laughs> and sometimes I just look at her and I just sort of, you know, I'm overwhelmed with love um, and uh, admiration and I just can't help but say something. I need to say something because it's true and I wanted to know it and I can't help myself. These angelic beings in heaven, they don't praise because God has given them a command that they must praise. They praise because they're so overwhelmed with his holiness and his glory and his majesty and his goodness. They just can't help themselves. And so day after day, night after night, they just fall down in this overflow of God. You're amazing. Holy, 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 you are worthy. And I wonder, does God's... And why? Why do they fall down? Well, because he is the creator. See there? Verse 11. You're worthy because you created everything. You created us, these heavenly beings. You created this, heaven. You created the earth. You created the stars, the planets, the universe. You created everything. And, we, and they see in God's creation the wonder and the majesty and the holiness of the one who created it. This is a question we need to ask ourselves, isn't it? Does God's creation overwhelm us? Does God's creation lead to us just going, I can't help but say, God, you're awesome because of what I see? See, even though we've done a pretty good job of messing this world up, we can still see the goodness shine through all over the place, can't we? beginning of Romans chapter 1 says that God's fingerprints are in all of creation and we can see plainly the characteristic of God because of the world he's made. Uh, just last weekend, Stephen and Lorraine uh, and Keely and I were chatting and we were talking about uh, how incredible the human brain is. Um, Stephen knows a whole lot more about it than we do. Uh, but we were thinking about just how on its own the human brain is just absolutely astounding. You know, if, if this thing could just happen by chance, that's the most amazing thing in the planet. It's unbelievable. But the human brain doesn't happen on its own, does it? It actually exists in our whole body alongside our heart and our lungs and our bones and our skin and every other organ and every other system. And the human body is just an amazing piece of creation does it lead you to praise do you look out at the waves or at the stars or at a blade of grass or at that horrible little centipede that wriggled into your house and go oh my goodness god you are amazing because of what you've created so why is it why is it that we don't i think often we're just too busy and too distracted to stop and notice. Uh, we kind of, you know, got the blinkers on. Uh, we don't notice and praise. And so I want to encourage you today and this week and for the rest of your lives, make some time to just stop. <coughs> Smell the roses. Look at the centipede before you kill it. Watch the clouds. Look at the stars. Read something about a scientific discovery 
that, has been, that people have discovered about this world God's created. And remind yourself, actually, God made this. How incredible is he? And then pray. God, this is amazing. You are an amazing God. But as verse 1 tells us, uh, God didn't just bring us into the throne room uh, to marvel at him, but also, verse 1, to show us what must take place after this. And what's about to take place is all wrapped up with a little rolled up bit of writing pad. Have a look at chapter 5 and verse 1. John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even take a peek at it. See, there's a problem in the throne room of heaven. And the problem is this scroll. Or more importantly, the problem is that no one can open this scroll. Now, what is this scroll? What's it all about? Uh, We know, as we've been working through Revelation, that a lot of the things here, a lot of the images, they're symbolic. And so a lamp is never just a lamp. And, uh, you know, a trumpet's never just a trumpet. And a scroll is not just a scroll. It's a little bit like Pandora's box was not just a box. It's a little bit like the button that launches a nuclear missile is not just a button. This scroll is so much more. It's picking up some uh, ancient biblical symbolism from the Old Testament. And what the scroll is, is it's the script. It's the playbook. It's the trigger, the command that brings about the great judgment and victory of God. It's, it's the button that gets pressed when that scroll is opened. It's the, that brings the end of the world, the end of history as we know it. When this scroll is opened, that's what brings about the events that bring a new creation, that bring judgment on all the wickedness and evil. This scroll, when it is opened, is what brings about everything good that God has promised from all of history. But there's a problem with this scroll. It's locked up tight. It's been sealed seven times, and and as we've seen in Revelation, stat number seven, it means fullness, completeness, absoluteness. And so, so this is code for this scroll is completely, absolutely, fully sealed, fully locked up. No one can get into it because no one is worthy. And have a look at how John responds when no one worthy is found. Verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. That might seem a bit of a funny response. Uh, He doesn't just shed a tear here. Uh, He doesn't just sort of look around and, okay, well, what's next? He actually breaks down. And why is John so cut up about the fact that this scroll is not opened? I mean, when this scroll gets opened, some pretty terrible things are going to happen. Well, there's a few people at this church, I know, who carry these little, little plastic tubes, you know, maybe about that long, and they're, they're called EpiPens. 
And uh, I want you to imagine for a second that you're one of those people and you, you carry an EpiPen and one day you start having an anaphylactic reaction to something and you're gasping for breath, but the problem is you've left your EpiPen at home. And there is an EpiPen on the site, but it's locked up the back in the first aid cupboard. It's sealed shut and no one's got the key to open it. You don't sort of lay there on the floor gasping for breath going, oh, wonder how this is going to pan out. <laughs> no, you, you're desperate for that pen. You're desperate for someone who can open that seal, unlock that box and administer that life-saving, world-changing little tube to you. See, John realises that if no one opens this scroll, that's an absolute disaster. See, if no one opens the scroll, God's people will go on forever and ever being killed and tortured and persecuted and crushed. If no one opens the scroll, people will continue to kill to steal, to rape, to abuse. Death will continue to reign. Wickedness will continue to grow. John knows that if no one opens the scroll, there's no salvation. There's no victory over death. There's no promised heavenly home, no justice, no resurrection, no purpose, no hope. Like John, we need to care that there's someone found who can open this scroll, who could bring about all the good plans and promises of God. I wonder how... Would you respond like John? Would I respond like John? Would we have wept if we stood there? Would we have realised the gravity and of the importance of having someone to open this scroll to bring about God's promises? Are we that invested in God's justice and his victory, that we would break down like John. We need to be. We need to long for the day when Jesus returns and brings about the end of history here on earth. We need to long for the day when salvation and judgment comes. See, not being able to open the cabinet with the EpiPen would be a catastrophe for an individual for a family, for a church, for a community. But not being able to open this scroll would be an absolute catastrophe for all of creation. But thankfully, there is one. Have a look at verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. He, verse 7, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, the, the language and the imagery and the promise of the Lion of Judah, we're looking at Revelation, the very last book in the Bible. This promise actually goes back to the very first book in the Bible, in Genesis. It was a promise that from this tribe of Israel, the tribe of Judah, would be a lion, a king, who would come, who would forever rule in holiness and might. 
a king who would crush his enemies, a king who would rule the nations, a king whose garments would be soaked in blood. And so John looks up to see this king, this lion, and what does he see? Well, the lion's not what we would expect. The lion is a lamb. And the lion's not just any lamb, it's, it's actually a lamb that's being killed as a sacrifice. And this here is why the lion is worthy. Why is Jesus worthy to take the scroll and bring about the promises and the fulfilment and the blessing and the judgment of God? Well, because Jesus, the Lion of Judah, came as a sacrificial lamb. Because the king came to be killed. Because the saviour came to be the sacrifice. Because the Son of God left his throne in heaven to come and deal with the problem of our unworthiness. See, we are overwhelmingly unworthy to enter into God's presence. But Jesus, who is God, who is creator, entered into his creation so he could bring his creatures into heaven. Jesus is worthy because he died in our place and purchased people for God. Have a look at verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Praise be to God. There is one worthy. Because of his death and resurrection, Jesus can bring the end. Jesus can bring all the promises of God to fulfilment. See, his victory was already won way back there at the cross, wasn't it? His worthiness was established when he died in our place and rose again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. So I have a question for you this morning. This is going to be a, a question for morning tea. How are you working to remember and give praise for Jesus' victory? How are you working to remind yourself daily, weekly, year after year of Jesus' victory, of his majesty, of his glory as the lion who is the lamb? And to turn your hearts and your mouths in praise to him. How are we working at doing that? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let me finish with uh, the cry of every single creature in heaven and on earth. Verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying... To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.